Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams shares part two of the series, Hoodwinked. So often we take life into our own hands, and when we do, it never seems to get better, but seems to get worse instead. Today, what are some of those things you have been holding on to that you need to put back into the hands of God? We want to continue today this, uh, this series called Hoodwinked. Some of you were here last week and you, you heard the intro, but um, what we're looking at is, is deception, basically, and how deception works in our lives. Um, and, and I want to read a scripture to you out of Genesis 25. We're going to begin in verse 19. So if you have your Bibles, we'll look at Genesis 25, 19, and we're going to dive in. Verse 19 says this, this is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled within each other, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she, inquired, she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That's important. The older will serve the younger. When the time came for the boys to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, which we said was really weird um, last week. But So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out and his, with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, I do thank you that you are a jealous God for us, Lord, that you long to be in relationship with us. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it, it reveals um, lies. It reveals deceptions in our lives. And so, God, today I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would have your way here today in our lives that our eyes would be open to the truth of your word, to the truth of the security we have in Christ, and that we wouldn't allow the devil to rob us of all you want to do in our lives, Father. Thank you for being so good to us, for loving us, and for being here today. May this word be good seed that finds good soil, produces an incredible harvest in our lives. In Jesus' awesome and mighty name, amen. Well, I told you last week, um, I, I went back and started looking at the word hoodwinked. I'd been studying a little bit about deception and looking at the life of Jacob, whose name actually meant deceiver or manipulator. And so I went back and began looking at that. And when I did a little word search on deception, a word popped up and it was hoodwinked. And you know, if you're like me, you've probably heard that all your life, but I started thinking a little more. I thought, how uh, how did we get that word? Where did it come from? So I went back and I started studying it a little bit. And what I found out was that in the 15, 1600s, this word originated. And, and what it actually came from was that back in those days, to wink meant to simply close your eyes. It wasn't a quick wink. It was not a flirtatious thing that you might do to a member of the opposite sex. It was, it was just a closing of the eyes. And people back then wore hoods a lot. They would have hoods on. And so what would happen is robbers would come up, they would grab the hood, pull it over the people's eyes so they would not be detected, and then they would take their possessions. And so that's what the word hoodwink came from. It was basically a way to, for somebody to rob you 
without being detected. And I thought about that, and I thought, how much is that like the devil? How much is that like Satan in our life? That he comes and he's so cunning, as the Bible says, so deceptive, so manipulative, that he can come into our lives, rob us of everything that God wants us to have, leave us miserable, and we don't even really know what's going on. We just know that we have been hoodwinked. We know something has happened, but we don't really know. The problem with deception is that you don't know you're deceived, right? You just don't even realize it. And so the devil is so good at that. So today we want to look at some ways that we can tell if we are deceived. One of the things I want you to hear today, and this is sort of the key thought, is that when you have a perceived need plus um, unbelief, then it equals an opportunity for deception. Because when you have a need that you think it has to be met, whether it's real or not, and then you have a lack of belief, the only option that you have is to take life into your own hands, right? So we take life into our own hands and we begin to manipulate it. We begin to do things to try to make our life work out. And how many of you have lived long enough to know that when you begin to take life into your own hands, it doesn't get better, it gets worse, does it not? It is like digging a hole and you just kind of start moving things around and pretty soon you're going, how did I get into this place? It's like that downward spiral that you just can't seem to stop. And so that's what we want to look at today is, is why is it that we put our hands on our own life? How is it that the devil is robbing us of joy and the fruit of, of love and peace and patience, all those things that we so desperately desire and yet we can't seem to find. How is it that we've been hoodwinked to this? See, John 8 tells us this, that the devil is the father of lies, that he's the father of lies. John 10 tells us this, that he's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil has one, you know, you see these uh, professional football teams or college football teams, and you see them on the sidelines, and they've got like plays up and down their arms. They've got this big book and this big sheet that they're reading off of, and they've got all these plays. Well, the devil has one play. It just plays out in different ways, and that is to make you believe a lie. If the devil cannot make you believe a lie, then he cannot have his way in your life. And so it's been happening since Adam and Eve. The only way he could deceive Adam and Eve was to get them to believe a lie. It, it, it happens in the lives of us today. The only way that he can rob us of what God wants us to have is to get us to believe a lie, right? How many of you, if I asked you today, no matter what's going on in your life, and you believe in God, you, you trust in God, if, you, if I were to say, how many of you know it's in the end it's going to be okay one way or another? How many of you would raise your hand, show of hands? You, you just know it's going to be okay. I mean, that's most of us. We would say that. We would mentally assent to that, but our lives sometimes don't indicate that, right? Our lives sometimes don't indicate that. In fact, if you look at this scripture, when Rebecca went and inquired of the Lord, it says that the Lord told her the older is going to serve the younger. The older is going to serve the younger. But what does Jacob and what does Rebecca do? They spend most of their life trying to manipulate the situation to try and get it to come out the way they think it ought to come out. So many times God has a good plan for our lives, but what we do is we don't believe him. We don't trust him. And so we start to manipulate things on our own. The word manipulate um, comes from a Latin word, manipulus. I like words. I love to study words. And, and what's cool about that is it's got the same root as the Spanish word, and I'm horrible at Spanish. I'm, I'm one of the people that if, if I'm talking to somebody who's Hispanic, I think that if I talk louder and with a Spanish accent, they can understand me. And, and I found that that actually does not, does not help. 
but I, I try that all the time. And, and I would, when I was in construction, we'd have Hispanic workers. I would say, you take plywood. And if they didn't get it, I would just talk a little louder. But they, they, that never helped. And so my Spanish is bad. But the word for hand in Spanish, who, who, who speaks Spanish in here? Who speaks? Yes, ma'am. Mano. Mano. Manipulate. Mano. It is taking your hands and putting them on something that you don't need your hands on. It's manipulating your life. And we don't need to do that. We, we dig a deeper hole when we try to take control of our life instead of allowing God to take control of our life. Some of us live our lives this way. We have given our heart to God. We have said, God, you are, you, you, I, I trust you. I believe in you. We've accepted Jesus. I said, listen, I'm not, these things I'm about to tell you, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, okay? So don't like get mad, throw a pen or a coffee or something at me. I'm not telling you you're not saved. What I'm telling you is it is possible for you to have given your life to Christ and for the devil to come into your life and deceive you in some way and be leading you astray and making you believe a lie and robbing you of the fruit that God wants you to have. And so we're going to begin to look at that because sometimes we have given our heart to Christ, but in areas of our life, we live as though we're atheists, right? We, we live as though God really doesn't exist because we aren't trusting him. And we're saying that our way is better. I remember when I was, um, I guess I must've been seven, eight years old. I was little, it's one of my first memories. Um, my mom and dad took me to my aunt's house and across the road was this garage sale going on. And you know, to a seven, eight year old boy, a garage sale is the best thing ever because there's just all kind of trinkets and junk and all this stuff. And I go over there and I had a little bit of my own money. I don't know how I got it, but I had a little bit of my own money and I go over and there was a sparkling, looked brand new to me, bicycle that was in the garage. And I thought I have got to have that bicycle. My dad comes over. And he says, son, you don't need to get that bicycle. I got to have the bicycle, dad. Strike one, right? He says, don't buy the bike. I'm going to buy the bike anyway. So he, I finally convinced him that I need this bicycle, dad. So I go and I, and I pay with my own money and I get the bicycle. And so I take the bicycle home and I'm riding it up and down the driveway, wearing the tires out on this thing, man, just pedaling, 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 and up and down the driveway, up and down the driveway. And then I decide it would be a good idea. I want to pop some wheelies. So I'm pulling back on the hand. I'm popping wheelies. My dad comes out. He says, son, I really would not pull on the handlebars like that um, because I just don't think that that's that great of a bike. I'm like, oh, but it's okay. So he goes back inside. What do you think I did? I kept popping wheelies. And what do you think happened? I'm riding down the driveway. I'm trying to pop wheelies. And, and the next thing I know, the handlebars are over my head. And I'm trying to ride. And I'll tell you this. I rode that thing all the way until I hit the grass. And then it was a, a major collision. It was ugly. It was, but here's the thing. That was like strike three, right? And how many of us have experienced destruction in our life because we've tried to go our own route? We try to tell God, I appreciate the plan. I appreciate what you're saying to me, but I know what's best. And so many of us live our life that way, that we put our hands on our life because ultimately, and we don't want to admit this, we don't want, and it is not um, Christian to say, I believe my way's better than God. But if we look at our lives in a lot of ways, the indication is that we truly do believe that our way is better than God's, right? How many of us do that? We, we, we. And our actions would indicate that I think my way is better than God's. And so we look at this and we realize that it is true that when you have a perceived need plus unbelief, 
it is perfect opportunity for you to be deceived and led into trying to manipulate your life. So this is what I want to do. I want to give you some symptoms because like when you start feeling sick or something, you start getting a cough, you know that there's something else going on. I want to give you some symptoms that would indicate that you have put your hands on your own life, that you have fallen into a lie of the enemy and you are believing um, a lie that the devil has planted in your mind, in your heart. And, and I want to help us try to clear, clarify some of those. I would encourage you to write these down and, and really honestly, that's the key word, honestly evaluate your life. Remember, I love you. And this is not saying you are not saved and don't love Jesus. I'm just saying there could be areas in your life in which things aren't exactly the way they should be. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, but that's good, right? All right. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read 9 through... Hmm. 8, 9 through 23. Let's read to there. 9 through 23. Verse 9 says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for so long a time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, he preached the good news. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Listen to this. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So this Simon guy, he's, he's, he's accepted. He says he believed and was baptized. It says in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the hands of the, of the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone in, on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And listen to this. For I see that you're... You are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Another translation says this, For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So he's saying here, he's saying, Listen, I look at you and I see the fact that you have been poisoned with bitterness. The first symptom I believe that you have bought into a lie and that the devil is robbing you is that you have bitterness and anger that you refuse to let go of. And you have bought the lie of the devil that if you don't hold on to it, if you don't keep that close to your heart, if you refuse to let it go, if, if I let it go and let God have it, then the person that did me wrong won't get what they had coming to them. How about that? Anybody ever done that? Where if I don't get them back, they're not going to be gotten back. But the Bible says very clearly that the vengeance belongs to the Lord. And see, all of us hold on to things in our lives that, that we should have let go of a long, stinking time ago. And you're the one that's miserable from it. The person that wronged you is at home sleeping like a baby, and you're sitting there holding on to it with this cancer eating away at your heart. 
And I believe that there are people in here today that need to be freed from this bitterness and this anger that's ruining your life. And some of you right now won't hear what I'm saying and you're stubborn and you need to hear what I'm saying to you today. Because I'm telling you out of love that God wants to free you from anger and bitterness so that it doesn't rob your life. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and begin to challenge you to let this go. I remember one time we were skiing and, and um, my uncle, uh, who we didn't realize had had a little too much to drink, um, was dry. Actually, he had had a lot too much to drink, but he was driving the boat. And so we were trying to ski. And, and I remember um, one of my cousins was, was skiing and, and the, he was driving the boat all over the place. And it was going, I mean, he was just wild. And we're like in the boat and we're scared. I was like, you know, we're praying for, for my cousin. I was probably like eight, nine years old. We lived on West Point Lake at this time. And we're like praying for him. And, and the boat takes a big swing up towards the bank. And we see my cousin, my cousin's eyes are like this big. And he's holding on like white knuckles and he's holding on. And it's one of those things where we're just back there going, let go of the rope, man, let go of the rope. And, and, and he won't let go. And he's just riding this thing to the end. And I mean, he just plows into this tree that had fallen over into the water. And somehow he was okay. And, and, and so then my, my, my other cousin and I, we got a big family. Um, we, we decided it would be good for us to do some kneeboarding. And so we, we decided we'll try to do this kneeboarding thing together. And so we're, we're laying on the little kneeboard thing and it was one you could do like a double kind of thing on and so we're laying there and the rope is like wrapped all around us and my uncle he's like are y'all ready and we're like and we're like wait 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 just a minute and somehow in his mind this meant let's go and so he just hammers it down and we take on we're like you ever you've been fishing and use like a deep diving lure and, and it's got the little bill on the front just kind of goes to, that was us that was us we're just like and we're drinking up the water and we're just diving down deeper and deeper. And, and, you know, we should have just let go, right? But we're like that in life all the time, man. There are things that have happened to our lives. There are things that people have done not to us. And, you know, honestly, by the world's standards, you have a right to be angry. You have a right to be bitter because you were done wrong. And I'm not going to debate that with you. I've been done wrong. I had two of my best friends who were in ministry stab me in the back, and I almost walked away from God because of both of them. Almost walked away because of that. But listen to me. Listen to me. If Jesus Christ could go to the cross, and he could die on a cross for your sins, and he could hang on a cross with nails in his hands and in his feet, and he could look down at the people that did it to him and say, Father, forgive them, then can we not find it some way to forgive those who've harmed and wronged us in our own lives? I'm telling you, the devil is robbing so many people because you won't let go of things that have been done to you in the past. So if there's bitterness and anger in your life that you refuse to let go of, I'm telling you, you bought into a deception of the enemy because you're not trusting God. If it's in my life, I'm not trusting God to be the one who handles the situation and it's killing you and it's robbing you and it's robbing those who are around you. So that's number one. Number two, Let's look at Jeremiah. We're going to get the next couple here from Jeremiah chapter 18. So if you can find that, we'll be there for just a minute. And I want to read to you uh, verses 1 through 12. And i share this with you. Verse 1, Jeremiah chapter 18. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a king, nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. Listen to this, way up at the top right there. Way up at the top, it says, but the pot was shaping, was the pot and the pot, but I need to learn to read. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot. Listen, it's shaping it as he seems best. How many of you have ever gone into a weekend where you were looking at the weekend and you were so thankful it was Friday? I mean, that's not like everybody every week, right? You're like, oh, thank, you. I thank, you. thank you, Jesus, I made it through another week. And, and so we're just glad to have made it through another week. But the problem is you really can't enjoy your weekend because you're already thinking about having to go back to work on Monday. Anybody ever been there? where you, you've been in that place where it's just like, oh, I got school next week or I got work next week. I hate my boss. He's just a jerk, you know? And, and you just don't want to go back on Monday. But, but you know it's coming. I remember I've been on vacations before, especially when I was in high school because vacation was awesome, but we always took vacation the week before football camp before two-a-days started. And so there was this part of me that I was like, great, it's vacation, it's awesome, but then I could hardly enjoy the vacation simply because I knew the next week was gonna be like the worst week ever, right? It was gonna be camp week, it was gonna be 110, I wasn't gonna be on the beach anymore, it wasn't like I was down there exercising, I was down there eating jelly donuts and sitting around watching television, and so I knew it was gonna be a difficult week, and I couldn't hardly enjoy the week at the beach because I was so worried about what was coming. And the thing I thought about this week is how many of us live our lives in that way? See, listen, here's the second symptom. Read. Okay. The second symptom is this, that if you're living in fear and anxiety, then you've bought into a lie. Because you bought into a lie that everything's not going to be okay. The good news is this, that when Jesus Christ died on a cross, some of his last words were, it is finished. And some of us need to understand that no matter what's going on in our life today, no matter what's happening in our lives today, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then it is finished. There's no need to be living in fear and anxiety. Now, how many of you would agree with that? We would agree, right? If we're, we're saved, we believe in Jesus Christ, we would believe that everything is going to be okay. But how many of us live that way all the time? I'm not telling you, you will never have a doubt, a fear, or a worry. I'm telling you that it should not possess your life. 
telling you that you can live free of it. And we would look at it and we would say that, well, it's just natural to have doubts and fears. It is natural to have doubts and fears and worries and anxiety, but God has not called you to live a natural life. He has called you to live a supernatural life. That's why he placed the supernatural Holy Spirit inside of you so that you don't have to be bound to the things that the world is bound to, so that we can be free. We can live a life that, that is supernatural. And when those things begin to come, we know where to go with them. When we begin to see things in our life that make us want to be in fear, we're able to go to the one who has all the answers. And see, I know some of you have been through stuff that causes you to live in fear. I know some of you probably live with people that cause you to live in fear. Some of you husbands probably go to sleep at night thinking, I hope she doesn't put a pillow over my head tonight. But but we, we have things in our life that drive us to fear and anxiety. Listen, when I was 15 years old, my cousin, Brent, he died of lymphoma cancer. When I was 16, my wife, Susan, was diagnosed with cancer. She's what, like a 12, 15, 20-year survivor now. It's awesome that God is, is, is healing her life and, and using her in awesome ways. Listen, I had an uncle who died of a brain tumor. My mother had breast cancer. Um, I had another cousin who they found him dead in his sleep from a brain aneurysm. If that wasn't bad enough, a few months later, they found his wife dead of the same thing in the bed. Uh, listen, there's things that have happened. If nothing else, that we're, we're in a new church. We don't, it, that is my source of income for my family and two kids, soon to be three kids. And we're going, we're a year and a half into this thing. There is room for uncertainty. And listen, those things that I'm telling you about my own life, they may not come close to what you deal with. But I want to tell you this, the same God that I can go to and find certainty in uncertain times. The same God that I can go to and find courage when all courage has left me is the same God that you serve, the same God that loves you, and the same God that says, if you will come to me, then you don't have to live in fear and anxiety. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it's time for some of us to draw a line in the sand and say, devil, it's enough. I have had enough. You have dictated my life enough. And today I'm stepping forward with God and I'm going to live a courageous life that honors and glorifies and blesses him. A supernatural life that is, that is filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can live a life that shows how awesome and real God really is. Listen to this. Jeremiah 18, 3. Jeremiah 18, 3. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. Some of us, this is the third symptom. If you've stopped the faith journey, you, you, you were on fire for God, you were living for Christ, and you somehow you've stopped this faith journey, then you have bought into some kind of lie of the enemy. It says right here in verse 3, it says, I saw him working at the wheel. Some of us have bought into a lie that God is not still working in our lives. But God never ceases to work. See, he takes this marred image, this marred clay, and he begins to use it in awesome ways. And I want to tell you, you'll get the greatest confirmation of your faith when you begin to use your faith. See, faith is not something you possess. Faith is something that possesses you. And it begins to use you and mold you. Listen, I, we went over to Alabama to Bessemer and You'll be hearing more about this, but we went to a drug and alcohol rehabilitation place, one of the most incredible ministries I've ever seen. And we were having dinner with, with their senior project coordinator. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, 
He said, I, I, I was in ministry for 12 years. And he said, I never, I always felt like something was wrong because I never had those, those pastor stories. You know what I'm saying? Like, these, well, I saw God do this and I saw God do that. I saw God do this. And he's looking, he's, I, he said, I didn't have those. And he said, but since I've been here, it's like for two years, he's like, I could sit here all day and tell you about the miraculous things we've seen about men coming in here so jacked up, so messed up, and walking out of here whole and complete and going and living a life that was honoring God and that was doing, and, and the first thing that popped in my head was, dude, you got on the front lines. You got on the front lines because answer this question for me. Who's going to have the best war stories? The person who's sitting back in the central command 50 miles from the battlefield or the person who's up on the front lines fighting the enemy? And we need to be people who are fighting the enemy. If you want to see your faith confirmed, if you want to see God doing things in your life, then get in the battle. Quit sitting back. Because somehow the devil has lied and deceived you that you can't be used. And God is saying, that is such a lie. He's got such great plans for you. And he just wants you to step up to the battlefield. I'm constantly amazed. I mean, I wish that I could just carry a tape recorder around with me so you could hear some of the testimonies of what God's doing in the lives of people. I, I, so I just come back and play them. I'm constantly hearing about people who, who come and... and um, share their testimony about what God's doing. I had a 70-year-old man nearly weeping in my office not too long ago because he was saying, why did I wait so long to experience this? Why did I wait so long to get in the battle? Why did I wait so long to, to, to come to know God in this way? And, and he's saying the same thing to us. Whether you're 15, whether you're 70, 75, God wants us in the battle. He wants us to see lives change. He wants us to see marriages being put back together. He wants us in the battle. When uh, the other day I was riding with Dake and, and I listened to some podcasts and things during the week and I was listening to a guy I listened to a lot and Dake's in the, the truck with me and, and you know sometimes I wonder if he actually hears what's being said but, but I'm sitting there and I'm listening and, uh, and Dake's back there and the guy makes a joke it was something to do with a gun and, and Dake like all into hunting and that kind of thing and so he, he hears this and he starts laughing. And so I realized he's actually listening to this guy sharing the word of God. And, and all I know to tell you is how awesome that was for me as a dad. How awesome it was for me as a dad to have this guy, this man who we don't even know, doesn't know us, but he's ministering to my son. And I thought about this. When my son's old enough to go off to school, when my son's old enough to go off and get a job and he moves away... I pray he'll get a job. When, when he's old enough to go and do these things, when he's old enough to move away from home, man, I pray to God that there would somebody, be somebody there that's willing to step up to the front lines and share the word of God with him. I pray. See, what we don't realize is right now God is working in so many ways around us. He's working in the lives of thousands of people. You don't have to make it happen. We don't have to manipulate it. God is already working. All we have to do is step into the places where he's working. We have to be available. We have to be willing to say, God, these hands aren't going to manipulate my life. They're going to do the work that you've called us to do. And we step in and we begin to see God do awesome and incredible things. But we got to get to a place where we're willing to step up to the battle lines. We're willing to, 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 to say, God, use us in awesome ways. Use us in mighty ways. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little while. It takes a little, but you just keep pushing and you keep going. One of the greatest problems we have, 
honestly, in the Christian uh, faith, in, in our lives, is that we sow and we leave the field we've sown before the fruit can come, right? Because we get to a place where we go over here and we're like, well, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm recommitting my life. I checked, even checked the back of that card. And so I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And we go a week and we're like, well, gosh, things are still as jacked up as they were before I made that decision last Sunday. And so we decide that it's not worth it. Most people don't stay in the fight long enough to see the fruit come. Most people bail, bail before life really begins to click. And so I challenge you today, if you have backed away from this journey of faith, if you have walked away from God, see, listen, it doesn't happen overnight. You need to get back in the battle. You need to get back in the game. And you need to begin to allow God to use you. I want God to use, I, my prayer is that we never stop hearing the testimonies of what God's doing in the lives of people. There'll be an absolutely incredible thing that every week we have things to celebrate because God is moving in such an awesome way. Last point, last thing, last symptom. Jeremiah 18, 11. It says, Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Then 12 goes on and says, but they will reply, it's no use. The last way that we can know that we have been deceived by the enemy is that we have begun to compromise our values and our beliefs. Have you ever, ever noticed that in your life? That, that you don't go, you don't wake up like one morning and just go, well, today I think I'm just going to throw out all the values, all the beliefs, all, all the, the, uh, the, the safeguards in my life. And I'm just going, to, today I am announcing to the world I shall be a bum for the rest of my life. Nobody ever woke up and went, today I've decided I want to be a drug addict. Right? No, nobody did. Nobody woke up and said, nobody woke up one morning and said, today I'm going to have an affair. You might have said that, but what really happened is it began months before. What really happened? Listen, King David didn't end up with Bathsheba just overnight. King David had a progression of bad decisions. Listen, it says in the Bible that he should have been out to war. He should have been out fighting, but he stayed home. See, he compromised his values and beliefs long before he sees naked Bathsheba on the roof, and he decides, I need that lady. So it starts long before, and we begin to compromise our values and our beliefs, and we do that because we really don't believe that God's plan for us and God's ways for us is the best way. And he says for, to us today, he says, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways in actions. Listen, this is not one of those turn or burn things, okay? I'm not like saying, get right or go to hell. And that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that left to yourself, the path does lead to destruction. Left to yourself, you will end up in a place of destruction. I will end up in a place of destruction where things have fallen down around me if I don't follow God's plan for my life. We need to get back to trusting God's plan, taking our hands off of our life and beginning to realize that he does have a good plan for us. Listen, one of the things I'm realizing and I thought that people were lying to me all of my life was when you get older, your metabolism stops, right? <laughs> And, and, and I was like, man, they're so full of it. I don't believe that. Well, it is not a lie. Let me, let me clear up that deception. It is not a lie. And, and I would say about two years ago when I turned 24, um, I, was, I was actually when I turned like 32, I started noticing this huge difference. For a while there, I could run a little bit. I could lift, lift weights a little bit. And I, I was good. 
And, and, and I even noticed that when I was like 24 or so, um, when we got married, um, Susan and I, um, because of her great cooking, um, I, I noticed that... I noticed that I was, um, I started putting all the weight. And when I finished school I, uh, I, 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 and I finished sports, I was like, I'm never running again. In fact, I told people, I said, listen, if you ever see me running, you need to pull over and get me because somebody is chasing me with something. <laughs> it is because there is either an animal or somebody who's really angry coming after me. But you know what happened? And it didn't happen overnight, but I had the 34s, you know, and I was happy with those. And and, I was like, hey. and then the 34s got a little snug, and so my dad had some 36s that I could get, and so I got the 36s, you know, everything's okay. And, and then yeah, we got married, and, 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 and then the 36s started to get real snug, and, and I was like, man, I'm about to have to go buy some new clothes. And I was like, I got to do something about this. But you know, the funny thing about it was it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't something that I just went from 34s to 38s all of a sudden. I was like, Pfft. and it was so bad though that a friend of ours saw my wedding pictures and after this was like eight years after we were married. He looks at my wedding pictures and he said, "Were you having an allergic reaction the day of your wedding?" Because my face was so big. I mean, I get a big head now, but but my face was so big that he thought I was actually swollen from eating something like did you eat something you were allergic to I was like no I was just heavy and, and you know and I, I decided at that point I was like I've got to start running I got to start doing something and so this is I was in this greater shape I went to the gym and I was like all right I'm gonna start running I turned the treadmill on and I start jogging and I'm like oh my gosh and I mean I'm barely picking my feet up and putting them down and, and, and so I'd have to run for two minutes and walk for two minutes run for two minutes and walk for two but you know over time I slowly was able to get back to where I could run a little bit you know and I've noticed I kind of and now I'm on the way back down. But, but it's, it's, it's the truth. Nothing happens overnight. It takes time. And when we begin to compromise our values and our belief a little bit, we bought into a lie that God's plan maybe isn't the best thing for us. And we begin to think that it's best if I take things into my own hands. And we end up worse off than we were before. And so we have to be honest with ourselves and begin to look and see, am I compromising my values and my beliefs because I really don't know that God's plan is what's best for me? Because none of us in this room probably, there might be some who would say, yeah, I don't believe it, God. Most of us would say, yes, God's plan is best. But our lives don't indicate it. So that when we take a perceived need and we take unbelief and we put them together, it only the only option is that we begin to try to manipulate things to get them to where we need. Now, here's the answer to the question. I want to read two more scriptures, and I promise you we're going to get out of here. I'm not going to be at this place long. But Mark chapter 9, because I want, I want to tell you two things that I believe will help you in your unbelief. Mark chapter 9, 16 through 27. It says, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, If you can. 
and said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Listen to these words again. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. To overcome unbelief, I believe the first thing you have to do is you've got to ask God to help you. You've got to say, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come into my life and begin to create faith in me. May faith arise in my heart and in my spirit so that I can believe. See, it's not, it's not a sin to ever have a doubt. It's not a sin to to sometimes question God. What I want to encourage you to do is when you have that doubt, when you have that fear, when that thing begins to come, as you go to God and you say, God, I need you to touch my heart, my life, and begin to birth faith into me. Begin to birth faith into me. And some of you may think this, some of you, because I know I've been in this place where you say, I have tried that a hundred times. I have asked God to take this away from me a hundred times. I say, don't give up. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 says that you will reap a harvest in due time. Do not quit on God. He's not going to quit on you. And number two comes out of John chapter four. Just a couple of verses there, beginning in 46. Once more, he visited Canaan and Galilee where he had turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. And listen to this, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still in the way, on the way, his servants met him with the news that this boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. The key there is he took Jesus at his word. See, at some point you've got to ask God. You've got to ask him and say, God, help my unbelief. Fill me with the power of your spirit. Show me in my spirit, God that I can trust you. But then there comes this point in our life, in our faith journey, where we simply have to take Jesus at his word. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. It begins to build up faith within us. And at some point, we have to make a decision that I will choose to believe the word of God. And when fear begins to come upon your life, you go back and you say, I believe the word of God. And when bitterness just seems to not want to leave your life, you go back to the word and say, I know it is poison and I lay this down at the feet of Christ, not because I feel it, but because I make a choice today to live in faith. I make a choice today to believe the word of God. Some of us today need to make that choice. We need to say enough's enough. We've compromised enough. We've, we've given into our values and, and, and beliefs enough. We, we, we have, we have sacrificed those enough and we need to decide that today I'll take Jesus at his word. Some of us have lived our lives 
far, far from God. And today you know you need to take Jesus at his word. You need to believe his word. I challenge you with this. If you will give him a chance, he will make a believer out of you. I've been living for God now for over 10 years. Some of you have been living for God way longer than that. It's nothing to brag about. But what I want to tell you is this. In over 10 years, I've never seen God unfaithful because God cannot be unfaithful. It's part of his character to be faithful. And he can't go against who he is. And so today, some of us, we need to make a decision, all of us, that I'm going to take Jesus at his word and I'm going to live for him and believe him. And even when I don't feel it, I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to take him at his word and believe what he says. Right?